Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. We're going to talk about a tax collector today. Mr. Zacchaeus, remember this story? Young people, remember this story? A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. We're bringing today our uh, series called Made for Mission to a Close. And the point of this series has been week after week to tell you that if you are a human, you were created to bring glory and honor to your creator. That's what you were designed to do. And if you are a Christian, you are designed and called by God to make disciples of those who are not yet bringing glory and honor to their maker. And these people that need to be taught the gospel of Jesus Christ are everywhere. And so we've been spending time the last few weeks talking about how we take this particular disciple-making mission to particular groups of people. A few weeks ago, Matt shared with you the story of Jesus going back to Peter and how we learn that Jesus has a heart to take the disciple-making mission to the wayward, those that once walked with him but no longer walk with him. We want to encourage you to be thinking about that. Last week, we talked about taking the mission of disciple-making to the broken, those whose lives are in turmoil, who are, whose lives are just upended and enslaved by sin. We just looked at the story of the woman caught in adultery. Today, our story is a little bit different. It's a little bit unique. We're going to call this mission to the exhausted. And we're coming to the story of Zacchaeus because his life is sort of interesting. Now, I know in this passage, the people that are around Zacchaeus call him a sinner. But from all visible um, viewpoints, his life probably wasn't that different than most people. Zacchaeus' life would not have automatically triggered your he-needs-Jesus button in your life. You would have been looking at him saying, okay, he's wealthy, he works every day. Uh, maybe you question a little bit of his ethics and the way that he works, but he wasn't a person that was just completely beaten down in this life we would call lost in sin. His life, most likely, started out pretty normal. He was an Israelite boy. He probably grew up in a Roman-controlled nation called Israel. He was small, as we can see from the story, so he probably didn't start on the varsity basketball team. Um, but he was a young man, most likely, that had dreams that as a young man probably thought about his future like many of us do. And he thought about what he was going to do with his life. He probably had some aspirations to do great things, maybe even become important or powerful. I'm sure he wanted to be a person who was successful. And so he started making decisions in his life in pursuit of that. One opportunity here, one commitment there, one decision there. And little by little, Zacchaeus built a life for himself. And what we see is that he eventually became what is known as the chief tax collector in that region, of that area, Jericho. Now, the tax collector business was a regular work. It was a regular job. Now, to the Israelites, it was seen as unpatriotic or turncoat to a degree because you were collecting taxes from the Israelite people to send that money to Rome. And you were an Israelite yourself, and so Israelites were very um, upset. Jewish people were very angry about those who had uh, become tax collectors for the Roman government. And it was kind of a down and dirty business. In fact, 
the Roman authorities would come into a town and they would put up for auction tax collecting. So they would say, who's going to bid the highest? How much taxes will you collect from these people in the next six months? And so people could bid on that job and say, I'll collect 10000 or I'll collect 20000 And guess who got the job? The highest bidder. So whoever was brave enough to say, I can collect $50,000 or $100,000, they would get the job. Oh, excuse me. They would get the job. And once they got that job, then it was their responsibility because they would typically have to pay that money. Then they have to go collect for the next six months. And anything they collect above their auction price was theirs to keep. And so if I bid $100,000 and I collect $500,000, guess who had a good year? I had a good year. And so um, Zacchaeus was a man who was a tax collector. And he had worked little by little over the course of time and became what was known as the chief tax collector, meaning he was in the business for a long time. He probably ran some of these auctions for the lower guys in his level, uh, in his area. And so he became a chief tax collector. He probably took his first tax collecting job as a young man, not really thinking about the implications or what it meant to kind of turn his back on his own people. He probably was just thinking about, how do I make a quick buck? How do I make a lot of money? And somebody said, hey, did you hear tax collecting? You can make a lot of money in a short amount of time. And I'm sure Zacchaeus, like many of us, probably thought, I'll do that for a year or two. Put away some money. Maybe you're able to buy a home. You know, make, I'll make this commitment for a short period of time because I'm going to make a lot of money. And if I do that, then I can kind of just coast and do what I want to do. And then all of a sudden he wakes up and it's probably 20 years later. And he's the chief tax collector now. And he's buried into a life that he doesn't want to live. You see, Zacchaeus' problem was not his profession. Yes, tax collecting is unfavorable, but it's not unrighteous. His problem was not his wealth. Money doesn't make you a sinner. Sinful people use money the wrong way. His problem was that he was neck deep into a life that he thought that he wanted, but turned out to not be so great. You see, he was desperate for something different, but he had no idea how to get out of what he was so deep into. He was just so far into this life that he had built, but he didn't like the life that he was living, but he had no idea how to get out of it. And this concept, this idea should sound pretty familiar to you. If it doesn't describe your life, which it might, it describes the life of many people today who are completely exhausted with the way their life is going. The modern person, the modern family, is overcommitted in work, overextended in their activities, overleveraged in their debt, overexposed on social media, displaying an over-exaggerated picture that their life is great when it's really not. Inside, people are dying thousands of deaths over and over because they don't like the life that they're living. They don't like that, and they don't know where to turn. And so as we think about taking the mission of disciple-making to those who are exhausted, Zacchaeus is the perfect example for us to see exactly how Jesus did this. And you'll see it's really simple. The first point is this. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. He saw him. So we're thinking, how do we bring this mission of disciple-making, how do we take the gospel message to people who are living life which seems to be pretty normal, pretty average life, 
but inside they're exhausted, they're worn out, and they're wanting a change. How do we bring that to them? The first things we see, Jesus was aware of Zacchaeus. He saw Zacchaeus. You see, seeing Zacchaeus wasn't automatic, and that's not just a short joke about Zacchaeus. In fact, Zacchaeus was up in a tree, and there were hundreds of people surrounding Jesus. So as he's walking the road to Jericho and into the city, there are all these people surrounding him, grabbing at him, calling for him, probably asking for him to come to their house. And all of a sudden, there's this man up in a tree, and Jesus is paying attention, and he sees him. How did he see him? How was he able to see him? Look in verse 5, the first thing. We see that he looked up above the immediate. You see, the immediate people that were around him, all the crowd clinging to him, begging for his attention, Jesus paused in verse 5, and he looked up. He looked up. He looked up also from his immediate plan. In verse 1, it tells us that going to Jericho was not, Zacche- was not Jesus' first plan. He was passing through Jericho. He was not going to stop at Jericho. He wasn't going to stay at Jericho. He was going through Jericho. And so Jesus stopped and looked up from the crowd and looked up from his schedule and he saw Zacchaeus. You see, I think one of the first things that's going to be very important for us to realize that if we're going to be disciple makers to those who are exhausted, to those who are running thin, for us to be disciple makers, we will have to look up from our life from our schedule, from our people and our plans. This is something that was always on the heart of Jesus all the time, to be searching for the person who was hurting, to be looking for the person who was lost. Every place Jesus went, every new town, every market, every synagogue, wherever Jesus was going, it was a burden on his mind saying, who's the person here in this room that's hurting? Who's the person here that's suffering? Who's the person here that on the outside they look fine, but God, I'm available to you to care for the one who's not fine. Because these people that look like Zacchaeus on the outside look perfectly normal, look perfectly fine. But on the inside, they're stretched thin, they're exhausted, they're tired. They want a different life, but they have no idea where to turn to where to find it. And Jesus was one who was willing to look up to see him. But he didn't just look up, he also looked past all of the barriers that stood before him. There were all kinds of barriers that were between him and Zacchaeus, physical ones. He was short. He was standing above him um, in the tree. There were social barriers that stood between Jesus and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was rich. Jesus was poor. Obvious barrier. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Jesus was a teacher of religion. Obvious barrier. There were relational barriers. When Jesus said he was going to go to Zacchaeus' house, the entire crowd began to grumble about that idea. Meaning this, that there were all kinds of reasons that stood in the way of Jesus connecting to this man Zacchaeus, who on the outside probably looked fine, but Jesus knew he needed help. And so Jesus was willing to look past these barriers so that he could reach Zacchaeus. And for you and I to do that, we're going to have to look past barriers that we see with people too. You know, barriers are just the thing that we look, that we put up, that oftentimes define what makes us uncomfortable. Have you ever thought about that? Whether it's a physical barrier, something that makes us uncomfortable about people, or maybe it's a social barrier, wealth or education or status, or maybe it's some other barrier, like a relational barrier, like this person's in a different class than I am or a different place than I am. 
these barriers that get put up in front of us between people are oftentimes the things that get erected because that's what makes us uncomfortable with other people. But Jesus was a person who was so comfortable in himself and so confident with his purpose that it allowed him to move past those barriers and seek to serve people and to help people. And so the first thing Jesus did, if he was going to be a disciple maker to this man who was exhausted, is he had a eyes to be able to see him. He was there to see him. The second thing was Jesus served him. There's something strange about this text if you read it. If you were following along when Jean was reading this text, you notice it has Zacchaeus running and climbing into the tree. Jesus walking along the road. He looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to stay at your house. And then out of nowhere, Zacchaeus stands up and he's obviously been taught something and he's converted to Jesus. He's saying, okay, I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. I'm going to give back fourfold if I've taken anything improperly. All of a sudden, this man's life is completely changed. But what's strange about this passage in the Bible is that you and I have no idea what happened from the time in which Jesus said, I'm going to go to your house, and Zacchaeus said, I'm giving my money away. We have no clue other than they probably ate some food together. We don't know what was said. We don't know what happened. We don't know all that transpired. All we know is that Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house and sometime in that probably six to seven hour episode, Zacchaeus was converted. See, that would probably have taken all day for Jesus. Um, cooking in those days was not like ordering pizza or, you know, throwing something in the oven that would take 30 minutes or an hour. Cooking was an all day endeavor. They had to prepare the animal. They had to heat up the fire. They had to roast things. And it took all day for this to happen. So when Jesus arrived at Zacchaeus' house, he was there for the long haul. But here's what I think Luke was doing on purpose. Luke might have known what Jesus talked about with Zacchaeus. But he didn't record it, maybe, on, maybe for a reason. Because what we do know is that his action, Jesus' actions, had great impact on Zacchaeus. The first thing we see is Jesus serving him through his demonstrating what joy looked like. Jesus was a servant to Zacchaeus because he showed him what it looked like to have real joy. And here's what's really ironic about this whole thing. Jesus was poor, teaching a rich man how to be rich. You see, just imagine Jesus and probably a few of his disciples, I'm sure he took maybe Peter, James, and John, or maybe the rest of them, to Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus was giddy and excited, it says, to bring these guys to his house because he probably didn't have in that city many visitors. People didn't really like Zacchaeus. And so Jesus and his disciples come, and there they are, these guys who are wandering nomads, who Jesus doesn't even have a house to his name, has all the joy in the world of life. Zacchaeus is sitting there probably on his, you know, gold embedded uh, table and his leather. And he's like, look at these guys. They have joy. They have peace. They have contentment. They have life. They're happy. And he's demonstrating to this rich man what it really means to be rich. And so here's where I think we can learn from. First of all, Christian, you and I will not be able to minister, to serve, to care for an exhausted culture if we ourselves are the exhausted ones. You won't be able to do it. You and I are actually going to have to be counter-cultural. We're going to have to actually look 
distinct, to look different. So when you're in your neighborhood, like where I live, and you step out my house, and there's 20 houses I can see in my neighborhood, that my family is going to have to look somewhat distinct in the craze, schedule, busyness of our culture, where people look at me and say, wow, that looks different. Jesus Christ demonstrated to this wealthy man what it looks like to actually be rich. And that was his lifestyle. You see, our modern culture celebrates this idea of being exhausted, of running your life to the red line, so to speak. Blanks in our calendar are oftentimes seen as failures in life, but the reality is we are the fools in this. History, I do not believe, will be kind to our arrogant, ignorant obsession with being so incredibly busy. We are doing everything and accomplishing nothing with how frantic we're running in our lives. Christians have to be a pacemaker with this idea. We've got to be setting the stage of what it looks like to live life with what really matters most. You see, I don't know what Jesus told Zacchaeus. I don't have a clue. I just know this, that when Zacchaeus looked at Jesus' life, when he watched him interact with his disciples, he concluded that he was going to have to give something up in his life to be able to have the kind of joy that Jesus had. He looked at Jesus' life and said, all that I have and all that I'm doing, something has to be given up to have what Jesus has. And so Christians, before we move forward, we have to think, how are we going to be this kind of stark contrast in our culture? What do you need to give up? What are you overstretched with? Where have you pressed yourself to the limit where you no longer have time, money, or energy available for the mission of God, to seek first the kingdom of God? If it's money, you know, the only option you have with money is to make more or spend less. Did you know that? And making more typically takes more time. So if you are over leveraged and overstretched, you might want to figure out ways to maybe have a little, to spend a little bit less. And that might include some drastic steps. In fact, in a month or so, right, Matt, we're going to start another Dave Ramsey round. And some of you may need to go to this Dave Ramsey class to realize how to get your finances in order so you're not stretched so thin and so exhausted with that problem. Is it work? Has the constant upward climb of a particular ladder that you've been watching or maybe the need to, uh, for more making you cause or making you make commitments short term that are causing you long term patterns? Is it your work? Is it our activities? I think it's high time for us to mention some of this idea that our activities are burdening our schedule in a way that make us absolutely unavailable for the mission of God. Okay? We have way too many. I, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but um, I'm a person who grew up playing sports. I love sports. I want my kids to enjoy the beauty of sports. But um, I think in our American culture, we have made an absolute idol of the sports culture. Have you ever seen, honestly, the percentage of kids that will get a Division One or two scholarship in the NCAA? I have in my office, if you'd like to see this, the actual percentage from 2016, those that play high school athletics and those that will play on a scholarship in college. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of like four to five percent of all kids. So that means out of the hundred kids in your high school that play sports, maybe four will get a scholarship to do that. And did you know that our youth club sports that are existing right now, whether it's gymnastics or soccer or basketball or baseball, whatever it is, 
Did you know that those organizations are not nonprofit? They are for-profit entities. And do you know how for-profit entities make money? They get you to consume more of their product. You see, these entities are pressing on parents' fear that they're going to fail their children if they don't give them more and more and more and more. Our kids need to take a break and a breath. Okay? Christians, are we overextended and exhausted? We will not be able to look at somebody who is exhausted and say, I've got a better way for you if we're doing the very same thing. So Jesus served him by demonstrating what life looked like. He served him by investing. You know, investment just describes a cost that you incur when you hope to see a return. That's what an investment is. An investment costs you. If you're going to invest $1,000 into the stock market, you will not have that $1,000 in your pocket. It's going to cost you something. But you make that investment into the stock market and not into some random product because you want to get back from that investment a return. That's what that is. Now, Jesus made an investment into this man. He spent the cost of his time. You see, he was not planning on staying in Jericho. He was going through Jericho, and all of a sudden he sees Zacchaeus. There's an opportunity to care for this man, an opportunity to serve him because he's exhausted and worn out, and he's there and he needs help. And Jesus pauses, and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house, which, by the way, in my effort to be as close to the Bible as possible is how I'm going to start determining my lunch plans every week. One of you is just going to get pointed at and saying, you're taking me to lunch today. I think that's what I'm going to do. You get all five of us. You know, you get Nash in his high chair throwing food. You're going to get all of us. To, but that's just my effort to be as biblical as possible. So Jesus says, I'm going to your house. And he knows this is going to be the rest of the day and probably spend the night. And even though his plan is to go somewhere else, in the moment when he can serve somebody, he says, this investment into that person is worth it. Jesus endured the cost in hopes that he could save this young man. You see, Jericho, as I mentioned, was his, not his stopping place. It was not on his schedule. You see, his stopping place was actually Jerusalem. And what's interesting is little did Zacchaeus know, Jesus was on his way to the place where he would give not just his day, but his life for Zacchaeus. And yet Jesus was willing to say, I'll pause and I'll be there for you. So if you're here and you're exhausted, maybe you're like Zacchaeus, maybe your life has just taken little bits of a time and all of a sudden you wake up 20 years later and you're saying, man, what have I gotten myself into? How deep am I? How do I back out of this? Let me give you two things from Zacchaeus' life that might help. Number one, you've got to do whatever you can to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Okay? You've got to see his life. You've got to understand his love. You've got to make sense of his sacrifice. You've got to do whatever it takes, like Zacchaeus did when he couldn't see because of the crowd. He ran ahead and climbed to the tree because he said, I've got to catch a glimpse of this guy. You will not make one movement of change in the right direction until you see Jesus. You've got to understand all that he is to you and all that he can be for you and what he can do for your life. And when you see him, number two, You've got to make the commitment that you know is right. You see, many of you might be feeling some measure of conviction today. 
I'm guilty with you. I know what it's like to run life at the red line and be exhausted. I know what it's like to make commitments all over the place and then have a bunch of things that I wish I didn't have to do that's out there. And I know what it's like. Some of you may be feeling some conviction right now. But the thing that we've got to actually do is make the transition to say, I'm going to commit to something being different. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus did when he stood up and said, I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor and I'm going to give fourfold back to anybody that I did wrong to. You know what he did right there? He immediately became poor himself. He became poor with his money, but he became rich with Jesus. You know, there's another story that's very similar to this one. It's not, it doesn't end the same way. Luke tells the story, too. There's another rich man that came and fell at the feet of Jesus. He said, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him, talked about the commandments some, and he said, as Jesus looked into his life, there's something blocking you from real life. There's something consuming you, something absorbing all of your money, your time, your energy. There's something, and it's your stuff. And he told that young man, sell all that you have and come and follow me. You're going to have life. And it was that man who walked away sorrowful. I wonder if Jesus told Zacchaeus that story. Man, you won't believe this. A rich guy just a week ago came and talked to me. He walked away sad. Don't walk away today sad. Walk away today with a great amount of hope, the kind of conviction you need to make your life be different so that we can help make disciples of Jesus Christ. Won't you come as we stand and sing?